Section 27 of Complete Original Short Stories of Guy de Maupassant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Columbus, Ohio. Section 27. Little Louise Roque, Part 1. The former soldier, Médéric Rompel, familiarly called Médéric by the country folks, left the post office of Royalty le Doire at the usual hour. After passing through the village with his long stride, he cut across the meadows of Viom and reached the bank of the Brundille, following the path along the water's edge to the village of Carvelon, where he commenced to deliver his letters. He walked quickly, following the course of the narrow river, which frothed, murmured, and boiled in its grassy bed beneath an arch of willows. Mederic went on without stopping, with only this thought in his mind. My first letter is for the Poivron family, then I have one for Monsieur Renardet, so I must cross the wood. His blue blouse, fastened round his waist by a black leather belt, moved in a quick, regular fashion above the green hedge of willow trees, and his stout stick of holly kept time with his steady tread. He crossed the Brindia on a bridge consisting of a tree trunk with a handrail of rope, fastened at either end to a stake driven in the ground. The wood, which belonged to Monsieur Renardet, the mayor of Carvelon and the largest landowner in the district, consisted of huge old trees, straight as pillars, and extending for about half a league along the left bank of the stream, which served as a boundary to this immense dome of foliage. Alongside the water, large shrubs had grown up in the sunlight, but under the trees one found nothing but moss, thick, soft, and yielding, from which arose, in the still air, an odor of dampness and of dead wood. Mederic slackened his pace, took off his black cap adorned with red lace, and wiped his forehead, for it was by this time hot in the meadows, though it was not yet eight o'clock in the morning. He had just recovered from the effects of the heat and resumed his quick pace when he noticed at the foot of a tree a knife, a child's small knife. When he picked it up, he discovered a thimble and also a needle case not far away. Having taken up these objects, he thought, I'll entrust them to the mayor, and he resumed his journey, but now he kept his eyes open, expecting to find something else. All of a sudden, he stopped short, as if he had struck against a wooden barrier. Ten paces in front of him lay stretched on her back on the moss a little girl, perfectly nude, her face covered with a handkerchief. She was about twelve years old. Mederic advanced on tiptoe, as if he apprehended some danger, and he glanced toward the spot uneasily. What was this? No doubt she was asleep. Then he reflected that a person does not go to sleep naked at half-past seven in the morning under the cool trees. So then, she must be dead, and he must be face to face with a crime. At this thought, a cold shiver ran through his frame, although he was an old soldier. And then a murder was such a rare thing in the country, and above all, the murder of a child, that he could not believe his eyes but she had no wound, nothing save a spot of blood on her leg. How, then, had she been killed? He stopped close to her and gazed at her while he leaned on his stick. Certainly he must know her, for he knew all the inhabitants of the district, but not being able to get a look at her face, he could not guess her name. He stooped forward in order to take off the handkerchief which covered her face, then paused with outstretched hand, restrained by an idea that occurred to him. Had he the right to disarrange anything in the condition of the corpse before the official investigation? He pictured justice to himself as a kind of general whom nothing escapes, and who attaches as much importance to a lost button as to the stab of a knife in the stomach. Perhaps under this handkerchief evidence could be found to sustain a charge of murder. In fact, if such proof were there, it might lose its value if touched by an awkward hand. Then he raised himself with the intention of hastening toward the mayor's residence, but again another thought held him back. If the little girl were still alive, by any chance, he could not leave her lying there in this way. He sank on his knees very gently, a little distance from her through precaution, and extended his hand toward her foot. It was icy cold, with a terrible coldness of death which leaves us no longer in doubt. The letter-carrier, as he touched her, felt his heart in his mouth, as he said himself afterward, and his mouth parched. Rising up abruptly, he rushed off under the trees toward Monsieur Renardet's house. 
He walked on faster than ever with his stick under his arm, his hands clenched and his head thrust forward, while his leathern bag, filled with letters and newspapers, kept flapping at his side. The mayor's residence was at the end of the wood which served as a park, and one side of it was washed by the Brindia. It was a big square house of grey stone, very old, and had stood many a siege in former days, and at the end of it was a huge tower, twenty meters high, rising out of the water. From the top of this fortress one could formerly see all the surrounding country, it was called the Fox's Tower, without anyone knowing exactly why, and from this appellation, no doubt, had come the name Renardet, borne by the owners of this fief, which had remained in the same family, it was said, for more than two hundred years. For the Renardets formed part of the upper middle class, all but noble, to be met with so often in the province before the revolution. The postman dashed into the kitchen, where the servants were taking breakfast, and exclaimed, "'Is the mayor up? I want to speak to him at once.' Mederic was recognized as a man of standing and authority, and they understood that something serious had happened. As soon as word was brought to Monsieur Renardet, he ordered the postman to be sent up to him. Pale and out of breath, with his cap in his hand, Mederic found the mayor seated at a long table covered with scattered papers. He was a large, tall man, heavy and red-faced, strong as an ox, and was greatly liked in the district, although of an excessively violent disposition. Almost forty years old and a widower for the past six months, he lived on his estate like a country gentleman. His choleric temperament had often brought him into trouble, from which the magistrates of roilly le like indulgent and prudent friends, had extracted him. Had he not one day thrown the conductor of the diligence from the top of his seat, because he came near running over his retriever, Micmac? Had he not broken the ribs of a gamekeeper who abused him for having, gun in hand, passed through a neighbor's property? Had he not even caught by the collar the sub-prefect, who stopped over in the village during an administrative circuit, called by Monsieur Renardet an electioneering circuit, for he was opposed to the government in accordance with family traditions. The mayor asked, "'What's the matter now, Mederic?' "'I found a little girl dead in your wood.' Renardet rose to his feet, his face the color of a brick. "'What do you say, a little girl?' "'Yes, monsieur, a little girl, quite naked on her back, with blood on her, dead, quite dead.' The mayor gave vent to an oath. "'By God, I'd make a bet it is little Louise Roque. I have just learned that she did not go home to her mother last night. Where did you find her?' The postman described the spot, gave full details, and offered to conduct the mayor to the place. But Renardet became brusque. No, I don't need you. Send the watchman, the mayor's secretary, and the doctor to me at once, and resume your rounds. Quick, quick, go and tell them to meet me in the wood. The letter carrier, a man used to discipline, obeyed and withdrew, angry and grieved at not being able to be present at the investigation. The mayor, in his turn, prepared to go out, took his big soft hat, and paused for a few seconds on the threshold of his abode. In front of him stretched a wide sward, in which were three beds of flowers in full bloom, one facing the house and the others at either side of it. Farther on the outlying trees of the woods rose skyward, while at the left, beyond the Brindia, which at that spot widened into a pond, could be seen long meadows, an entirely green flat sweep of country, intersected by trenches and hedges of pollard willows. To the right, behind the stables, the outhouses and all the buildings connected with the property might be seen the village, which was wealthy, being mainly inhabited by cattle breeders. Renardet slowly descended the steps in front of his house, and turning to the left gained the water's edge, which he followed at a slow pace, his hand behind his back. He walked on with bent head, and from time to time glanced round in search of the persons he had sent for. When he stood beneath the trees, he stopped, took off his hat, and wiped his forehead, as Mederic had done, for the burning sun was darting its fiery rays on the earth. Then the mayor resumed his journey, stopped once more and retraced his steps. Suddenly, stooping down, he steeped his handkerchief in the stream that glided along at his feet and spread it over his head, under his hat. Drops of water flowed down his temples over his ears, which were always purple, over his strong red neck, 
and made their way, one after the other, under his white shirt collar. As nobody had appeared, he began tapping with his foot. Then he called out, Hello? Hello? A voice at his right answered, Hello, hello. And the doctor appeared under the trees. He was a thin little man, an ex-military surgeon, who passed in the neighborhood for a very skillful practitioner. He limped, having been wounded while in the service, and had to use a stick to assist him in walking. Next came the watchman and the mayor's secretary, who, having been sent for at the same time, arrived together. They looked scared and hurried forward, out of breath, walking and running alternately to hasten their progress, and moving their arms up and down so vigorously that they seemed to do more work with them than with their legs. Renardet said to the doctor, "'You know what the trouble is about?' "'Yes, a dead child found in the wood by Médéric.' "'That's quite correct. Come on.' They walked along, side by side, followed by the two men. Their steps made no sound on the moss. Their eyes were gazing ahead in front of them. Suddenly, the doctor, extending his arm, said, "'See, there she is.' Far ahead of them under the trees, they saw something white on which the sun gleamed down through the branches. As they approached, they gradually distinguished a human form lying there, its head toward the river, the face covered and the arms extended as though on a crucifix. "'I am fearfully warm,' said the mayor, and stooping down, he again soaked his handkerchief in the water and placed it round his forehead. The doctor hastened his steps, interested by the discovery. As soon as they were near the corpse, he bent down to examine it without touching it. He had put on his pince-nez, as one does in examining some curious object, and turned round very quietly. He said without rising, "'Violated and murdered, as we shall prove presently. This little girl, moreover, is almost a woman. Look at her throat.' The doctor lightly drew away the handkerchief which covered her face, which looked black, frightful, the tongue protruding, the eyes bloodshot. He went on. "'By heavens! She was strangled the moment the deed was done!' He felt her neck. "'Strangled with the hands without leaving any special trace, neither the mark of the nails nor the imprint of the fingers. Quite right. It is little Louise Roque, sure enough.' He carefully replaced the handkerchief. "'There's nothing for me to do. She's been dead for the last hour at least.' We must give notice of the matter to the authorities. Renardet, standing up with his hands behind his back, kept staring with a stony look at the little body exposed to view on the grass. He murmured, What a wretch! We must find the clothes. The doctor felt the hands, the arms, and the legs. He said, She had been bathing, no doubt. They ought to be at the water's edge. The mayor thereupon gave directions. Do you, Principe, this was his secretary, go and find those clothes for me along the stream. You, Maxime, this was the watchman, hurry on toward Rue Litoire and bring with you the magistrate and the gendarmes. They must be here within an hour, you understand? The two men started at once, and Renardet said to the doctor, What miscreant could have done such a deed in this part of the country? The doctor murmured, Who knows? Anyone is capable of that. Everyone in particular, and no one in general. No matter, it must be some prowler, some workman out of employment. Since we have become a republic, we meet only this kind of person along the roads." Both of them were Bonapartists. The mayor went on. Yes, it can only be a stranger, a passerby, a vagabond without hearth or home. The doctor added with the shadow of a smile on his face. And without a wife, having neither a good supper nor a good bed, he became reckless. You can't tell how many men there may be in the world capable of a crime at a given moment. Did you know that this little girl had disappeared? And with the end of his stick, he touched one after the other the stiffened fingers of the corpse, resting on them as on the keys of a piano. Yes, the mother came last night to look for me about nine o'clock, the child not having come home at seven to supper. We looked for her along the roads up to midnight, but we did not think of the wood. However, we needed daylight to carry out a thorough search. Will you have a cigar? said the doctor. Thanks, I don't care to smoke. The thing affects me so. They remained standing beside the corpse of the young girl, so pale on the dark moss, 
A big blue fly was walking over the body with his lively, jerky movements. The two men kept watching this wandering speck. The doctor said, How pretty it is, a fly on the skin. The ladies of the last century had good reason to paste them on their faces. Why has this fashion gone out? The mayor seemed not to hear, plunged as he was in deep thought. But all of a sudden he turned round, surprised by a shrill noise. A woman in a cap and blue apron was running toward them under the trees. It was the mother, La Roque. As soon as she saw Renardet, she began to shriek. My little girl! Where's my little girl? So distractedly that she did not glance down at the ground. Suddenly she saw the corpse, stopped short, clasped her hands, and raised both her arms while she uttered a sharp, heart-rending cry, the cry of a wounded animal. Then she rushed toward the body, fell on her knees, and snatched away the handkerchief that covered the face. When she saw that frightful countenance, black and distorted, she rose to her feet with a shudder, then sinking to the ground, face downward, she pressed her face against the ground and uttered frightful, continuous screams on the thick moss. Her tall, thin frame, with its close-clinging dress, was palpitating, shaken with spasms. One could see her bony ankles and her dried-up calves, covered with coarse blue stockings, shaking horribly. She was digging the soil with her crooked fingers, as though she were trying to make a hole in which to hide herself. The doctor, much affected, said in a low tone, "'Poor old woman.' Renardet felt a strange sensation. Then he gave vent to a sort of loud sneeze, and drawing his handkerchief from his pocket, he began to weep internally, coughing, sobbing, and blowing his nose noisily. He stammered, "'Damn, damn, damned pig to do this! I would like to see him guillotined!' Principe reappeared with his hands empty. He murmured, "'I have found nothing, Monsieur Le Maire, nothing at all anywhere.' The mayor, alarmed, replied in a thick voice, drowned in tears, "'What is it that you could not find?' "'The little girl's clothes!' "'Well, well, look again and find them, or they'll have to answer to me.' The man, knowing that the mayor would not brook opposition, set forth again with hesitating steps, casting a timid side-glance at the corpse. Distant voices were heard under the trees, a confused sound, the noise of an approaching crowd, for Mederic had, in the course of his rounds, carried the news from door to door. The people of the neighborhood, dazed at first, had gossiped about it in the street, from one threshold to another. Then they gathered together. They talked over, discussed, and commented on the event for some minutes, and had now come to see for themselves. They arrived in groups, a little faltering and uneasy, through fear of the first impression of such a scene on their minds. When they saw the body, they stopped, not daring to advance, and speaking low. Then they grew bolder, went on a few steps, stopped again, advanced once more, and presently formed around the dead girl, her mother, the doctor, and Renardet, a close circle, restless and noisy, which crowded forward at the sudden impact of newcomers. And now they touched the corpse. Some of them even bent down to feel it with their fingers. The doctor kept them back. But the mayor, waking abruptly out of his torpor, flew into a rage, and seizing Dr. Labarbe's stick, flung himself on the townspeople, stammering, "'Clear out! Clear out, you pack of brutes! Clear out!' and in a second the crowd of sightseers had fallen back two hundred paces. Mother La Roque had risen to a sitting posture and now remained weeping with her hands clasped over her face. The crowd was discussing the affair, and young lad's eager eyes curiously scrutinized this nude young form. Renardet perceived this, and abruptly taking off his coat, he flung it over the little girl, who was entirely hidden from view beneath the large garment. The secretary drew near quietly. The wood was filled with people, and a continuous hum of voices rose up under the tangled foliage of the tall trees. The mayor, in his shirt-sleeves, remained standing, with his stick in his hands, in a fighting attitude. He seemed exasperated by this curiosity on the part of the people, and kept repeating, "'If one of you come nearer, I'll break his head just as I would a dog's!' The peasants were greatly afraid of him. They held back. 
Dr. Labarbe, who was smoking, sat down beside La Rogue and spoke to her in order to distract her attention. The old woman at once removed her hands from her face and replied with a flood of tearful words, emptying her grief in copious talk. She told the whole story of her life, her marriage, the death of her man, a cattle drover, who had been gored to death, the infancy of her daughter, her wretched existence as a widow without resources and with a child to support. She had only this one, her little Louise, and the child had been killed, killed in this wood. Then she felt anxious to see her again, and dragging herself on her knees toward the corpse, she raised up one corner of the garment that covered her. Then she let it fall again and began wailing once more. The crowd remained silent, eagerly watching all the mother's gestures. But suddenly there was a great commotion at the cry of, The gendarmes! The gendarmes! Two gendarmes appeared in the distance, advancing at a rapid trot, escorting their captain and a little gentleman with red whiskers, who was bobbing up and down like a monkey on a big white mare. The watchman had just found Monsieur Poutouin, the magistrate, at the moment when he was mounting his horse to take his daily ride, for he posed as a good horseman, to the great amusement of the officers. He dismounted along with the captain, and pressed the hands of the mayor and the doctor, casting a ferret-like glance on the linen coat beneath which lay the corpse. When he was made acquainted with all the facts, he first gave orders to disperse the crowd, whom the gendarmes drove out of the wood, but who soon reappeared in the meadow and formed a hedge, a big hedge of excited and moving heads, on the other side of the stream. The doctor, in his turn, gave explanations, which Renardet noted down in his memorandum book. All the evidence was given, taken down, and commented on, without leading to any discovery. Maxime, too, came back without having found any trace of the clothes. This disappearance surprised everybody. No one could explain it except on the theory of theft, and as her rags were not worth twenty sous, even this theory was inadmissible. End of section 27. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Columbus, Ohio.